0: Hi, this is Kirby Shabaga. This is Nero the This is Steven Sue, And I'm Vinay Narayan, and welcome to this episode of XRC Pod, where we talk about what can games teach us about making better enterprise applications. And what a good time of year to talk about that as we head into holidays. And first of all, happy holidays to you as our listeners and to the crew. What are you guys most excited about? Yeah, man, what are you guys most excited about the holidays? Of course, we're staying home hanging out with the family, any any presents, any any things you guys are looking forward to?
1: It's pretty low-key on my end. We're not going anywhere. We're staying back home, just the three of us, and, uh, you know, been starving for family time, so I'm really appreciating time with the family.
0: <laughs> I, ho- I hope the feeling is mutual with your family. Uh, you can, it's always a
1: question, isn't it? <laughs> no, no we're, it's good.
2: Yeah, no travel plans for us either, but uh... – you know, hopefully spend a bit of time in VR, of course, uh, trying some new applications.
0: What about you, Steven? <laughs> uh,
3: uh, uh, yeah, not much on my end. Um, I think same as Kirby, just uh, going to be staying at home, playing some games. I've been really hooked on Population 1, so just trying to get my, my friends ranking up there.
0: Yeah, that's a. so is, is this going to be the year for VR Christmas? What do you guys think? You know, I'm not too sure. It's
2: looking pretty darn good. Um, I think more and more of the general public are aware of VR and given an opportunity, it's a good experience um, and the price points getting down. Um, Yeah, it it could be, but if not, I think next year for sure.
0: Yeah. I think uh, based on Black Friday, all the holiday gift guides, you know, you're, you're seeing VR pop up quite a bit. Um, And so, yeah, I do think it's going to be definitely the best year we've had in the industry for VR. Uh, And I think it's going to be a really fun time, though, for those of us getting these new gifts, especially uh, if you're new into VR, to actually spend some time in a headset and use that downtime to kind of find what we love, which is also kind of why it's so great to look at entertaining content, especially even if you're not trying to build entertainment applications, because there's so much to learn about good games and how you can apply that into everyday life. Because games does something very unique. They get somebody onboarded in an into an environment and really engaged right at the top of the bat. doesn't matter who you are, what age, or your level of experience. And that's always kind of been the thing about games is how do you make it easy for users? How do you make a great experience for users? And I feel like we can still a lot learn a lot more, especially in the enterprise applications, about what we can do uh, with good games and how we can apply that into enterprise.
1: Yeah, it was a funny experience back when I was uh, running a a, a VR studio for a consulting firm. It was hilarious to go through the process of uh, um, justifying game purchases for my team. But the fact is they need to try it out in order to see what what interfaces worked, what didn't. And uh, games are the best way to to collect that information and, and, and turn that into good training experiences. That was a fun call with uh with our accounting team. Yeah, it's like asking, uh, can I get a Steam gift card, please? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, I, I do remember those days of uh, trying to, you know, get the corporate card to purchase Steam gift cards yeah. um, and making sure you can justify. Fortunately, there's some smart ways to do that in terms of having uh, company accounts where all that content gets dumped and you can kind of, you know, making sure you – you know dot your eyes, cross your t's there, but and it, it, it is that it's really important though it's uh well the nice thing now about games in general, there's a game for everyone yeah. uh doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter your preference or very much how much time you have to play um and I think that's what's kind of getting really exciting about the v r ecosystem right now is that now there are uh games for everyone um and even with multiplayer games more and more users are online at the same time uh there's there's just so much more momentum in this space and so many uh, nuanced things you can kind of take away. But I also think that's what makes VR so fun right now is that games are so different. There isn't necessarily one standard of how to do things. Uh, there's other technologies that are coming online that are working pretty well, but some instances not well enough. Hand tracking is a great example of that. Some use cases are pretty good, but still not to the point where it's that reliable where you would use it for everything. And so you're, and then there's also great examples of you using audio. Um, There's, you know, there's great content out there that is built for um, better audio and that really enhances the experience. And there's some that are just really great for just sitting down and just vegging out. Uh, We talked to Alex Rule uh, in our previous episode about 360 content. And and I believe in that episode I was, I admitted openly that uh, if we didn't record that, I will say it again here, is that when VR first started. I was a very uh, vocal opponent of 360 video. Um, I said that was not VR. And at that time, the reason behind it was, one, 360 wasn't great, but also VR wasn't really great. The headset. So if you were on a mobile VR device and that was the first time you saw VR, you didn't really get the uh, experience of VR. But now I look for 360 content because after playing whatever games that I play, whether it's uh, you know everyone's favorite Beat Saber to... Creed, uh, to, or one of, more, one of those more active games, like sometimes you just want to just still be in VR, but you just don't want to be moving um, and so you want that rich experience. Uh, and so 360 has been a great aspect of that. And there's even, you know, you learn a lot more about what's a good way to make a, a good 360 content instead of just having uh, a stitched uh, viewpoint, right? So there's so much we can learn from these experiences about the user and especially an extended time in headset. What about you guys? What's your guys' favorite content? What are you guys playing right now?
1: So, um, I'm, uh, I'm not really a fan of the shooters or the, uh, high paced action. I, I don't know if that's, I mean, I, I guess I get motion sickness as much as anyone, but, um, uh, I actually really like embracing the, um, unusual way of interacting with the world that you can get in, uh, VR. So I'm playing down the rabbit hole a lot right now. um, which had a really cool way of kind of telling a story, being a, a puzzle uh, narrative. But you can control the environment in a really unusual way, um, kind of as an outside observer going down a rabbit hole.
0: That's cool. That's a, I actually like that one a lot. Uh, thanks for the record. That's actually a really fun one, uh, fun one to try out. I didn't think that was going to be something that I would enjoy, just generally how I enjoy content. But I find I – like different things in VR. And that was kind of a really fun discovery. Like I I am a big console and PC uh, gamer when I have time and I have my titles that I like to play on there. And that's just just there. But with VR, I'm finding other things that I really enjoy um, that, you know, that I wouldn't have tried otherwise.
1: Okay. And that's that's kind of like a game that wouldn't work in any other medium. You know, those type of games, I would say. Um, Because it's so natural to move the scene around, which is pretty critical. Kirby? Yeah.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, a couple of things. I, I keep going back to Beat Saber just because it's, it's fun and <laughs> it's easy to get into, um, gets you moving. I really like that. Uh, I, I'm actually looking forward to trying Microsoft Flight Simulator, uh, right. but I don't have, uh, Windows mixed reality headset. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll get one or just wait until they support other headsets like, uh, like the index. Um, I, I keep going back to some of the creative things too. They're not really games, but even things like Google Earth VR or, you know, blocks, um, those type of more creative, uh, uh, experiences.
0: Yeah. And I like, uh, stuff that actually, you know, it's funny. I like a combination of stuff, but for me, uh, a session in a VR session is going to be multiple games. Um, and I kind of, I think it kind of fits into my ADD type of lifestyle where you just want to try a lot of things when you want them and how you want them. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed, I've always like been a fan of kind of the Rocky franchise. There's something about, especially when you watch it that young, you're like, if I was mm-hmm. in that situation, what would I do? And you kind of told yourself, you yeah, you would you know you'd run up those stairs too. You would do all those things. You would do it. Um, and I would box a certain way. And then you play Creed: Rise to Glory, and you realize boxing is really tiring. It is really difficult. And I'm in pretty good shape, but I'm not in boxing shape. And you just appreciate all of it. Um, and you and you the great thing about it too, immersion. When you're that immersed, you try so much harder, right? Um, I mean, I I am drenched in sweat um i oftentimes even have to wear like special uh, i have like athletic breathable shirts that i'll wear when i play creed just because i you get that much into it and you never plan on i'm like yeah i'm I'm gonna take it easy this time right i don't want to get so exhausted but you will and round three comes you're like man this is really hard but you still love it and something about that level of engagement um and it's kind of turned into kind of a a great brief cardio session even and and i know i'm not alone in um creed um and all some of the other um of these type of games, like boxing type of games, are being very popular for both. But then I find myself then going into some of the other content. I love Robo Recall. Um, I can't stop playing it. It's just it's just fun even when I replay episodes. There's something about um, that style, that animation style, fits really well. Um, it, it, it feels realistic enough. And I like kind of that homage to old um, games where you kind of have that kind of funny audio, kind of that overlay. So then it kind of takes you back a little bit. Um, and then, you know, and I do like to veg out sometimes with Tetris. Like, I like to sit down and play Tetris in VR. Like, it's it's also kind of a weird thing that I never thought that would be something I would be into, especially in VR. Uh, but it's – it's you, I find myself trying so many different kinds of content uh, at any given session. And so I, I like that um, – the ability to have so many different choices.
1: You know, on the Tetris front, I, 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 I've actually really started liking Cubism, um, which is kind of a 3D Tetris. And the ability to, um, again, look at look at the puzzle from all angles um, is quite unique in VR. I
2: was just going to say another observation is that, you know, remember back, uh, like for me when the Vive first came out, I would try everything that hit the Steam store. But now there's just so much that you can't uh, you can't afford to buy everything and try everything. Uh, so we have to be, or at least I have to be, a little more picky on what i'm gonna go for
0: and that's a for good sign sure. right oh yeah i i think you know that's a great point too kirby it, it things are changing now with so much content and actually so much great content there was a lot of not so awesome content uh even when there was stuff in the store and you can kind of say now to recommend top 10 games you'd play is tough because they can go so many different ways uh yeah. you can even now there's like there's literally good 10 uh really good shooter games 10 of them you can mm-hmm. recommend they're uh you know, there's there's so many different kinds of games or these categories that there's, you know, you're getting to double digits of of numbers of where things are really good and depends. Like I like, for example, Red Matter. Um I've really enjoyed that um that, that game so much because you forget you're kind of in the space. Like it's like you're read you're living a book or kind of in the movie. And and I think that game does a few things really well too, um that, you know, if you wanna kinda think about when you wanna like get help with um trying to figure out what's like the translations on the walls, right? There's like a, you can use this translator. Uh, I think it's called like a Bulgarian translator or something. Uh, It's, it's, you know, uh, you can kind of quickly use that feature and it's kind of a good quick help tool as well. And sometimes you kind of think about that in terms of like for enterprise applications, if you're trying to navigate a scene or figure out what to do while you're still trying to figure out in the scene, for example, and be realistic as possible, but having something like a translator that kind of gives you that help, it also feels kind of natural. Uh, so I felt like that was kind of kind of fun, but you know, you lose yourself uh, in in this content, and it's it's it is very immersive. But it's also just a lot of fun and relaxing at the same time. But uh, what about you, Stephen? What's uh, <laughs> what, what do you like playing in VR? Uh, I,
3: I'm sure you guys already know that I shared in the beginning. It's definitely Population One, as of late since launch, I've been playing that almost every single day. Um, yeah, I think I'm on the same boat as Nira, where I'm you know I'm not really a A shooter type based uh player uh you know outside of vr i only play dota which is this moba strategy game five versus five you choose your own hero you work with four other of your teammates and you try to kill the enemy tower um and i think what i like from that game draws a lot to population one which is the the human variable um which makes every game so unique and different and it's it's I think maybe, you know, with shooter based games or campaign stories, there's kind of this figured out outline and structure, which, you know, it, it's great. You can figure out the story. But I think for these games where it's multiplayer based and you have to work with a teammate, you can't predict what the outcome is. And and to be able to drive the outcome that you want, which is winning with your team, is super exciting. And trying to figure out beyond just the game elements that the designers and uh, game developers have uh, given you as tools, but also figuring out how do you socialize with the with your with your random team and in in trying to figure out how to work together to to achieve the objective. so I think that element is always exciting and not something that you can always uh, craft right away
1: <laughs> yeah stephen that's actually a really interesting point, particularly from the perspective of corporate training. Um, and you look at the training experiences that are out there right now, and they are often focused on competency and um, the, what skills uh, workers need to build, and assessing against those skills. But often, when you're out in an actual real environment, the the variable is human behavior, and it's you know there's been some talk around multi-user training experiences. But uh, I think you bring up a really good point there with the randomness that that enters when you are interacting with other humans, and you know that can definitely be taken to the job site.
3: Yeah, and just to add to that, I, like it, I wish there was a way to capture the data. But I think most of, if not all of, my winnings from Population One have been with teams that uh that you that involves a lot of communication across the other two teammates. I think there are times where you're paired up with two other teammates where they're just extremely quiet. they won't say anything, which is fine. then it's like you have to adapt to it, you can't force the conversation. but I'd say I don't think I've ever won a game where we didn't communicate where we just just did our own thing and just stick together right So I think it's, it's that that whole like communication piece and adapting to each um, team uh really helps uh, us achieve kind of the outcome that we're looking for.
0: Wow, Stephen, I think that's just really profound points across the board, when, especially when you look at a couple of things. One, adding the human element adds so much variability um, to games and content. It, it makes it fun. You can actually have the exact same infrastructure, but but the people change the gameplay, the experience. Uh, and then when you start to kind of add in things what Nirvich just said about the spontaneity and the variability that it takes, Those things are very difficult. I I almost kind of feel like there's be a great opportunity for there to be kind of a two-way where whether it's almost like a job sim, but you can also play the actual um, retail uh, associate, if you will, right, and try those experiences. Or even better yet, just let everybody else play and you can uh, observe what's actually going on and how do people kind of uh, interact. Because with gameplay, you know, you try to use AI – Try to use bots, try to do different things to add that variability, but people are so much more dynamic and they're adapting, especially to in a platform like VR where things are not as 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 established yet and it's evolving. There isn't a general best practice across the board. Um, so when we look at games and enterprise, there's there's actually some finite things or structures if you look at that makes good games also makes amazing enterprise applications. And some of those include the ability for proper onboarding and tutorials. Getting someone in a headset, getting them acclimated very quickly, and reducing that friction is paramount. And then there's locomotion. We all move differently. Every scenario is different. Our space requirements, technology requirements are very different. And then how we interact with that environment in terms of input. We have hands that uses uh, that's it's great sometimes. We have different kinds of controllers, and we just have different needs of how we interact. And voice may be one. We've, we've talked about eye tracking this season. We've talked about voice. We've talked about the next thing that's important to consider that games does pretty well, accessibility. Uh, ensuring that everybody with every type of both cognitive abilities, physical abilities, and, and just also um, conceptually understanding something, uh, games does a pretty good job of making sure that accessibility is paramount. And then what we just talked about is also like conceptualizing abstract concepts. Those concepts in a digital environment, especially in VR, is a perfect place for that. Uh, but how can you do that really well It is, is something that whether you're, you want to teach somebody about physics, for example, um, mm-hmm. how can you actually bring those tools in? Uh, these are all kind of things that you know I think we want to look at, especially in this episode, uh, around how can games teach us how to make better applications, especially in those kind of areas. So. What do you guys think about onboarding tutorial what's what's one of the things that you look at which is for the first thing as you don a headset uh, that's probably be an initial barrier that really puts you in kind of into that immersive space
2: yeah, I was just gonna say that uh, one of the first experiences uh, I used to put people into um, a lot was um, the blue. I'm not even sure if that's still around, but it you know it wasn't anything that you had to uh, do in that application in that experience it put you underwater and there was a whale uh, that swam by but you got that sense of uh, uh, immersion which was really incredible the thing about the onboarding it was very simple it was just a few words in front of you uh, you didn't have to wait long for anything to load there was nothing glitching in and out so it was a very smooth experience for a first time user. And it kind of guided them like, okay, just look to your right a little bit. And from that point on, people realized that, Hey, I, this is literally 360. I can look up, down, left, right. I can turn my body. And that was a really simple way to get people used to the idea of movement within, uh, within VR.
1: So what I've found myself drawn more to. And this is even as doing a lot of VR is, uh, when I, when I drop into the game, I want to be able to see a own character. I want, being in front of a mirror really helped you identify. Um, and there's certain, um, certain, uh, instances that forget that, but I, I think, uh, it's pretty important to get a sense of, even if you're not looking back at yourself, right? That you doesn't have to be an avatar that looks like you, but you get a sense of who the character is. Um, and I think that's pretty important in onboarding in any situation. It's, who who are you playing yeah. in this instance?
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's also very important. Like you say, just it's very natural for somebody yeah. first time to look at their hands and it's like, whoa, then they sort of understand
0: right
2: I'm in this thing and I have some agency and some control in that environment.
0: Yeah, especially if you're if you're introducing something kind of more nuanced. Um in enterprise applications, you you, you know, we've talked to uh companies that actually have Let's say, um, gloves like haptic gloves or those types of kind of things that you, they're, they're much more, uh, into, they're, they're, while they may be less intuitive, they're more natural. Um, and, but getting someone to interact with how gloves are different, for example, than controllers, what can you do for them uh, the moment you kind of grab? And even with using kind of hands, uh, hands, I, the first time you use hands without actually using your controllers, you don't really believe it. Um, and I think with hands too, hands doesn't really have, the level of tracking yet for a variety of reasons, but making sure that they understand the bounds of which your hands actually work and keeping them trusting that hands work is also important. So mm-hmm. having very finite things you can kind of grab onto, um, using the ability to making sure that you can pinch so you feel your uh, index finger and your thumb kind of make that contact and knowing that that's a thing. Um, these are all kind of things as you look at the different modalities as you kind of explore. So I think a good sense of presence of who you are what you're trying to do, um, and your, the various inputs that you have in that particular experience and those those mediums are also really important. Um, I think some really good games also use audio cl- in a clever way where if you're onboarding somebody in VR, especially for the first time, or there's an experience where it's very 360, you de- using audio cues to have somebody turn around all the way um, and understanding kind of where that is. Uh, those things are pretty good. Um, having those kind of virtual hovering assistants that help you to guide through um in what's kind of fun too i I think like in a game like for example like robo recall you start off the game in amongst your peers of these robots right um and so you get a good sense of your size height and just without you're not doing anything you're actually literally standing still watching you can move around if you bump into another robot they'll like they'll apologize so you kind of kind of see okay like you understand what's kind of what's going on um and also the physics of your movements as well And then you get very quickly transported, teleported, which is also a um, you know a, a tool in the game, into where you need to be. So you can go into these large or quickly teleport into big areas, and that kind of seems starts to seem very natural in that first experience. And then you go into a place where you can pick up various objects, do different things. So now you're also understanding how the controllers work as you grip, because there's really no right or wrong way for you to do things. You can understand how to take apart because as as part of your uh, attack, you can actually take apart robots, so you can see those parts laying down, you're not necessarily you know, they're they're inactive robots, right? So there isn't even a, a connection there. So you can see how to do that. And then as you move around this room, which is a, a room that's not so much spherical, but there's different rooms you can kind of jump into. You can use a teleport feature. So while you're using your time to kind of pace yourself, um, you're understanding everything about why am I here? How do I use this environment? Um, and then you can kind of very quickly go through from, yeah, I get it. Let's go ahead and start playing the game to I'm going to spend a little more time trying to figure this out. Uh, so I think those, how you start is actually pretty important.
2: Yeah. Job simulators, a, a good one that's for true. that as well. That's
0: true.
2: Yeah. I, I think everyone kind of, when they go into that experience, it, it's it's so natural that they just start start working.
0: Yeah, and I think, yeah, you get into the next thing, right? Locomotion. Like that's going to be... As you're, you know, I always, I look at it oftentimes as, uh, I spent so much of my early days in VR doing demos in public settings and, and especially demos for a lot of people like in trade shows. So getting someone to onboard and appreciate the content and all those areas was was so critical. And so making sure that you have the right content and the blue was a, a popular one, uh, because you, we and we talk about this in our in our three sixty video episode, like you have no you understand certain concepts, you understand whales, you understand size. There isn't anything you have to do. Um, but you get a good sense of what what is VR, right? And then you start to get into inputs, you start to get into uh we used to use fantastic contraption quite a bit because you got um abstract concepts like physics and those types of things. So but you get a time frame. You have a very short amount of time frame of being able to teach somebody VR um, and get them immersed and get them kind of, you know, really bought into what is going to be, what is the future of VR. But oftentimes, especially way in the beginning, you have to kind of vo- do a lot of voiceover of making sure people are standing here doing this. Um, and now with games, uh, you definitely don't want that, right? You don't want to have to have somebody physically help you through. And locomotion is one of those other areas that it can be uh, pretty challenging. Because you can actually physically move, but then you have bounds. Um, and then, how do you go from large kind of how do you traverse large areas um, in VR? Uh, what are you guys seeing that's working really well in locomotion? So, I'll, I'll, as you
1: know, I'm a fan of down the rabbit hole. This what 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 I found very interesting here is both the narration on, on getting into it, but also the the way you can manipulate the whole scene uh by pulling on two vines and, and kind of shape it the way you want what's, what's comfortable for you um i kind of immediately went back to kind of a, a wargaming or a situation room type scenario and being able to use that kind of locomotion to get different angles at a at a problem um you know and the fact that you can manipulate the environment in different ways zoom in zoom out um get closer or further away and you're really always in this god's eye view um, what's really interesting um and uh you know you kind of interact with the character as kind of a side scroller type, but you're looking at it uh from a different perspective than I would say most other content out there
2: so one thing that you know just again maybe more of an observation um for locomotion it's not uh there's not just one way as you yeah. mentioned to to uh to build that into your experience or game. And in some ways that makes it a little more difficult for new users because they're not sure what is the method uh of of movement. Um you mentioned in the early days um of of VR, I did this a lot when I worked in manufacturing was to put people and it was time boxed as well, so I might try to put through a hundred people in the day or or whatever. Uh, I would give them the blue and then immediately robot repair demo and for a couple of reasons with that one. Uh, I believe there was a little bit of tutorial in locomotion, but you realize too, that you could just move and see that engine part in front of you from different perspectives. Uh, uh, so that, you know, that kind of worked well, but definitely until there's sort of a standardized language for locomotion uh. there there may need to be some hints early on in the experience.
3: Yeah, Kirby, I was actually, and I think the way that I look at locomotion is kind of like from the walking aspect, right? Uh, Just moving around the virtual space. Uh, I think a lot of game or a lot of VR applications do this. Uh, I think the one that first started it was uh, Google Earth. I could be wrong, but one of the designs that solved a lot of the locomotion problems of just trying to walk around the virtual world was just uh creating that kind of blurred edge um around the application uh, every time you move you would blur blur the sides where it's kind of like a tunnel vision essentially and that would just uh in in my eyes and I think in in a lot of the studies uh that it it kind of solves that that dizzy locomotion that people experience when trying to move. So I think that's a good practice. Uh, you can see it in Google uh, Earth, you could see it in Population One. I think a lot of the popular shooters will have that element where you can kind of add that. Um, and that kind of helps mitigate the issue. The other thing, I, I like I, I think the best locomotion, and if you can afford this, is, is, is like void, uh, the void, where you have a physical warehouse and you can kind of just walk around. Um, yeah the space and get that tracked i think you know that's the ultimate immersive experience but obviously that that requires the space and the the tech to be able to host that um but i think you know void probably is like a quarter million dollar worth of setup to to kind of have their locomotion but there's one uh, uh company that i i went to visit which was called escape vr so if you're in uh southern california and you're close by anaheim uh, go check it out. Just type escapevr.com. Just doing a plug-in here. Um, but uh they did a really interesting way to solve it where they're just um they just use a vibe setup uh fifteen by fifteen uh space with two base stations and they have a four player escape room experience. But that's that's it. A fifteen by fifteen I is relatively kind of big but you know it's it's not impossible. But um and what was interesting was that They didn't have walls like The Void or anything. No props. It was just a VR headset with backpacks. But the way that they designed the game was that you would utilize that 15 by 15 space to kind of walk around the maze and just keep recycling the space that you just walked past by closing Mm -hmm. the path behind you, which was really interesting. So I thought, you know, and 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 that just because you're physically and virtually walking, it solves that local motion issue. But again, that's just with the 15 by 15 space, when I when I got out of that room, I felt like I walked an entire warehouse, which was a really good kind of hack around that design thinking. <clears throat> yeah. yeah,
2: you know, it's, it's funny though for me, and uh, um, if you look back a couple uh, Oculus uh, uh, meetups ago, uh, that John Carmack mentioned this too. If you think back to the early days of the Wii. And they had introduced motion controllers. So initially people were going crazy and making wild gestures when they played tennis or whatever. Um, But then you realize you could just lay on the couch and flick your wrist. And and for me, if I can teleport as a method of locomotion, I tend to not physically want to walk. I'm just lazy and I'll just jump somewhere. So much to the point that you get used to it and then you get out of VR and it's like, oh, crap. I gotta actually <laughs> I walk. Gotta I have to walk. I can't like point and click. So yeah, it is kind of interesting um, how how we may evolve uh,
0: movement. Yeah, and all fantastic examples, right? That it's there's so many ways to move in VR, and what's the right way? And especially as tracking improves, hardware improves, and and also like games uh, change, right? I, as we use eye tracking, for example, to say, I want this. And you know, then you have context. Uh, I like your examples as well, Stephen, about some of the physical things you can kind of buy. And, and I think, too, that's where when, when we open up again, when the world opens up, everyone, wants to, everyone uh, continues to ask, LBE was such a great um, market for VR, at least uh, in terms of a, a, a great avenue. And that it still will be because these are still build outs of VR that are truly transformative. They're really fun that you can't necessarily do at home. Um, but also to like the hardware ecosystem of what you can bring at home. I recently backed this, um, Kickstarter called Cyber Shoes. It's all one word and you put them on your feet. There's a, there's actually kind of a tracker that goes onto your headset. Uh, the reason I have to back them on, uh, cause they're not on Quest yet. Uh, but they, um, it's you, you can actually do, I love to move around in VR. Um, very hand, like I I like to kind of just move around, jump around. It's, it's it's fun for me. It can be exhausting, but I still like that aspect. But with cyber shoes, you can just be seated and and move your feet and actually run or walk. And it's it's kind of really cool in the sense that it really helps to challenge the locomotion. Uh, I don't like teleporting. It's there's very few examples where teleporting is fun, and I have to be really kind of engaged in doing a lot of stuff. Like with Saints and Sinners, for example. Um, when I'm playing Saints and Sinners, I think it breaks every time I need to go to large groups of areas, but I find the game does that pretty well, that I'm not necessarily required to traverse massive areas. Like, uh, I think, you know, you may be, for example, in a boat, uh, that's going to help you to kind of go really far or some, you know, you'll use these things to continue the story. Uh, but that's still always kind of jarring for me. Um, but also you get how much can you really move and walk? Um, so with the, like this type of accessory, for example, you can see, move your feet the the way it also kind of works like the, it's kind of curved on the bottom. So if you wanted to drag your feet, um, as well, uh, you could do that. So you don't have to, you know, uh, almost do like an air squat with your legs, uh, which can be challenging. So I think the ability to have lots of folks, um, with different abilities to do locomotion and not just actually have to physically move or, or kind of be so, um, intense on your body is also going to be really important. Um, and yeah. all really great examples. Like, I mean, no one's really nailed it, right? I think these, these are all great examples.
2: Yeah, and it and it really depends, you know, what you're trying to get across in that experience or training or gaming, whatever it is. Um, for me, um, I like to think of what, what XR gives us as a superpower. I want to do things in that experience I can't do in real life. But obviously, if you're doing enterprise training, or simulation then it has to be based on reality so uh there's always that difference right what is the purpose of of that application
1: Uh, so guys let's talk a little bit about input because i think there's a number what, what what i find most interesting or one of the things i find most interesting about vr is the ways of communicating um in in novel ways i mean i'm uh uh gesture based speaker um I move my hands around a lot and uh i I like the the fact that you can express yourself in different ways, not just verbal not just um uh text typing um i you mean know, i i am a huge fan of Silt brush um just the ability to um get my thoughts down through uh sculpture virtual sculpture is 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 exciting to me. Um there's not much in the way of uh multi-user capability there, but uh you know, as think input mechanism into um I think they've really captured uh interesting ways to sculpt ideas. Um any thoughts from you, F?
2: Yeah, I mean I, I I love that too, the idea again of having uh being able to do something that in the experience you can't necessarily do outside the experience so like having you know information on your wrist or you know a picker just appear in front of you and you can grab different components or change colors it's very cool um and i think even in some of the training simulations you can't you can't one for one recreate the actual real world so even even there, there's going to be uh, shortcuts. Um, yeah, and speaking of input, though, one thing I really like uh, for something simple at the moment is being able to ask when I'm in the Quest 2, you know, just take a picture or take me back to home. So I like, I like having the ability to not just use point and, and click, uh, but including voice as well.
1: Yeah, I'd like to have that voice in- included more in VR experiences rather than just at the OS level. Um, that'd be awesome to be able to do that
0: more. It's funny. Uh, I feel like this episode culmin- almost ends up being an accidental culmination of some of the topics we talked about uh, this season in XRC Pod. We uh, we usually talked about voice, right, the power of voice and how can voice add both immersion but also as a very important tool uh, for accessibility as well. Uh, we uh, Input and Locomotion, we we touch on accessibility. We had an entire episode with Joel Ward, which was one of my favorite episodes around how to design for accessibility. Um, and input is an important aspect of that because uh, not all of us can move around or even want to move around. Um, and also we may need to use voice c- for a variety of reasons. And, you know, you, you start to also then look at uh, the reasons of why. Um, and also with with Joe, with, with Haptics. I uh, talked about good enterprise and Amy packs of this as well. Good enterprise companies or those enterprise applications in VR first solve the enterprise problem, then use VR as a medium. So, that right kind of flavor. Uh, what's the right amount of VR for that particular problem? And, you know, I think inputs is a lot to do with that as well. It can, and eye tracking was one of our first episodes. <laughs> um, and I like I like the examples of when we talk about what input to use. And we're not just talking about playing the game or the experience, but screenshots. Totally agree with you. Uh, If we're talking about, like I mentioned Creed earlier and those stats, whether I want to share those stats or just want us just to see, you know, the nerd in me tries to also tries to figure out, like, how do you get a better punch score without either punching harder? So, I've you know, I've tried different things where you just try a whole bunch. Does volume really make sense, but you're not really trying really hard? Or then you go to the opposite extreme to see if you try to punch really hard, but not as often, is that going to make a difference? Um, And then, you know, you try to wind up. And so doing screenshots. Um, it helps because you can kind of really quickly, uh, A B test what actually works in there as well. Um, and then, you know, with once you use like eye tracking applications as well, th- that's something that I l- really look forward to in the, hopefully in the near future to see more and more, uh, headsets have that built in. Um, because that's, I think, is also one of the things that are missing right now of uh, taking. User interface input accessibility and that just kind of onboarding as well to the next level because uh, it is a, it is a very much an extension of you when you can actually uh, have uh, eye tracking in that experience and while those may be some hardware examples uh, also the context of what input to use when I love using voice to get me into the home screen um, you yeah. know you're playing something doing something I just don't like some of the navigation the menuing for some for some games are not that great. Right, getting back to home is not that great but the ability to have at an um, app layer where you can actually use the voice and have a consistent user experience for me like that does drive that consistency that's kind of missing in vr and i think uh you know we touched on accessibility a little bit but i know uh, joel would uh gonna ping us if we don't go a little bit deeper uh, accessibility is important um uh, and i think it's an important topic um as important as, you know, almost every episode we talk about user privacy and data security, uh, which we won't touch on here, but accessibility. Um, what is, what do you think, uh, accessibility, accessibility means, uh, for enterprise applications and what games are doing that pretty well?
1: So I'm very impressed by what Alchemy is doing at vacation with vacation simulator. Um, they, they really have an attitude towards accessibility first. Um, and, um, you know that feeds directly i mean i guess office simulator is an office experience right um but it feeds directly into um uh lessons to for the enterprise i mean you always want to have multiple ways to achieve a task um that require different form factors different inputs um so you know not if you rely on one way then there is going to be some community that you leave out uh but if you have multiple ways of Achieving a task input mechanism to get to that uh, get that work accomplished um, you end up being more inclusive, yeah yeah and it, it, you know those things
2: too like um, understanding the person's height yeah. right and and being able to dynamically adjust the experience so everybody can reach the thing off the top shelf, for example. Uh, sometimes it's just little things uh, it takes extra effort up front. Uh, but it's sort of like accessibility, I think, is a lot like where security may have been years ago, where it was an afterthought, but it really needs to be up front in the design uh, t- to build better experience for everyone.
0: Uh, yeah, I think, uh, near the, the alchemy, when you talk about the alchemy example, kind of throws me back into, which is, I do want to give a shout out to, all the indie devs, right, who when we're trying to figure out VR, and we still are, it's really the indie devs that we're trying to figure out all these concepts uh, from games and bringing to VR the right amounts, the right timings, um, and, and really trying to establish that. Accessibility, could agree with you more in terms of where we're at. And it's also a, a topic that's also very uh, fundamental as we make sure that we keep it forefront, because VR is supposed to be for everybody. Um, it is also a platform to really give us the the superpowers that we don't have in the real world, and I know we oftentimes use that um, we describe AR as kind of superhuman powers, but VR really is that as well, right? It's it's giving us we're cre- we're creating our own environment uh, versus trying to enhance our in- environment, and that's also really important. Um, and the other thing about accessibility as well is is this context. Um, there's there's so many accessibility really is a combination of all of those things. Uh, I think if you solve for accessibility, then you have to take in onboarding and tutorials. You have to take in locomotion. You have to take in um, inputs and also like conceptualizing abstract concepts. Like culturally, this may be a new thing to you. uh, And that's something that's very difficult um, to, to comprehend. So I think almost as we look to the future of what's a good enterprise applications and using games as kind of that good foundation um, understanding accessibility is a good place to start because you'll, you'll really kind of – if you nail accessibility, I think you will nail a good enterprise and games experience in VR. Well, this has been a really fascinating uh, episode uh, in terms of really talking about the content we love, how to make that better. And I know Nirav, too, especially with with Moonbeam, you're, you're bringing so many new folks into the platform, um, trying to solve really business problems, but are new to VR, but VR is a very crucial way in terms of solving that. Um, anything else before we wrap up this episode that you kind of want to add from your perspective um, around kind of that good environment that you're now applying into the stuff that you're working on?
1: Well, um, I mean, so what's interesting about VR is the ability to manipulate the environment and and, and see things from different perspectives. And, you know, that old study about why there's yellow paint in uh, hospitals and, uh, you know, and and that environmental has an effect on you based on the experience you're trying to to create. Um, And it's, it's always interesting to see how the gaming community has kind of built environments to both set a mood but also build experiences to conceptualize these unusual concepts. Um, so I think as a business, you should think about what you're trying to accomplish in, in, in that session, whether it's training to, to help workers deal with stressful situations or um, business meetings to enable more um, uh, creative thought and design your environment accordingly um, and give give users the tools to do what they need to do. So. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of fantastic contraption and how they, uh, give you that small toolbox that you could start building with. Um, and I also want to call out, like I've said a few times, uh, fisherman's tail, uh, which allowed you shift perspective in very interesting ways. Um, and, uh, you know, all of that, I think have good lessons for business training and planning applications.
0: Thanks so much, guys. I, I actually can't, also can't believe that this is going to be our second-to-last episode this season. Um, what an amazing journey! Um, and actually, what a great uh, topic to kind of tie it all together. Accidentally, it's something that I think you know we we've been talking about uh, all the content we love doing, um, and also like how much we can kind of learn from enterprise. And it's kind of great to kind of see this stuff come together. Um and also a big thanks to our listeners. Um I know that you're you're listening to this during the holiday season. Um uh, it's time for us to kind of be with our families. And in many ways, uh, you know, we we thank you for letting us into your home, into your time. Um and also really appreciate the ongoing conversations. Uh, we covered a lot of content today, but I know we're just scratching the surface. So if there's anything that we're missing that you like that you feel enterprise applications can learn from, from games, please do comment. Um uh, we'd love to hear that feedback. Uh, you can catch us on xrcpod.com. Or actually on LinkedIn is where we like to have a conversation, uh, as well as on Twitter.
1: Happy holidays, everyone.
0: Yeah, and I think Nerv's Christmas present uh, to you was no Bruce Springsteen re- uh, references. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you guys hey. so much
1: for listening to Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> uh,
0: thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of XRC Pod. Uh, wish you happy holidays. You can find us wherever you find your podcast on XRCPod.com, as well as on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you.